Today from the Global Lane, showdown over Ukraine. Will diplomacy prevent war or is Putin ready to make a move? He may decide to just launch a, a lightning strike in Ukraine for maybe five to ten days. You know, massive military bombardment, lots of missiles, lots of tanks. Racial divisions USA. They're part of a much bigger design to radically transform America. That design is devoid of the divine to extract the influence of God out of the public square. And millions of dollars in donated Freedom Convoy funds frozen by a Canadian court. What now? We're in this fight for the long haul and we're going to be standing by freedom no matter what. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Russian President Putin says he's pulled back some of his troops from the Ukrainian border and he's ready to resume dialogue with the West. Can war be averted or is bloodshed, death and oil and gas shortages on the horizon? Well, joining us to explain is Harry Kazianis. Mr. Kazianis is senior director of the Center for the National Interest. Harry, it's always good to talk with you and learn your thoughts on this one this time. So is Joe Biden... Uh, pushing us to a showdown with Russia over Ukraine. Is he right to be uh, doing so? Well, I think he's right to be concerned. And I, I do give the president some credit here in that he's trying to do as much as he can to avert war. But in this instance, it's Vladimir Putin who I think gets the deciding vote. I mean, there's 150,000 troops amassed on the Ukrainian border. He's essentially surrounded Ukraine. Uh, and Putin has a decision to make. I mean, he's claimed that he's withdrawn some forces, which, to be honest with you, looking at what satellite imagery we have, I think it's very clear he's lying. Um, actually, the Soviet Union used to play that game before in Afghanistan. They would announce these troop withdrawals, and everybody knew they were fake. So this is an old Russian game that's sort of been thrown around. But Putin really has to make a decision. The ground will start to thaw in about a week to two weeks, and Russian armor will not be able to go steaming rolling across Ukraine. So if Putin's going to move, it, it will be within the next few days. That much is certain. And although considered to be a U.S. ally, Ukraine is not a NATO member. Uh, you work for an organization called Center for National Interest. So the United States is taking a lead role in this dispute. Is that in the American national interest? Why or why not? Well, I think it is. I, I think we, we don't want to necessarily, you know, spill American blood and treasure and, and put troops in Ukraine, anything like that. But I do think history does show when you let an aggressor like Vladimir Putin just cut countries apart, take pieces of territory they want, damage economies, you know, hold the world hostage the way they are, countries will keep doing that over and over again. And I mean, a lot of people invoke the China-Taiwan scenario where, you know, if, if Russia is allowed to do this, then Xi Jinping could do the same thing to Taiwan or other countries or maybe take over the South China Sea or other parts of the world. So I think it's important that we have to stand up to aggression, but that doesn't always necessarily mean the United States needs to put troops on the ground. You know, we don't want to get into any more forever wars, which is the, the popular DC term that's thrown around. So I think it's important that we stand up to these dictators, but I think it's also important that our European allies are there to help and make sure that they are the backstop. And also that we give Ukraine the, the military equipment that it needs to defend itself. So it doesn't always have to be America, you know, doing everything, but it is important for us to lead. There's nobody else to do it, to be frank. How big of a crisis is this, in your opinion, Harry? The Ukrainian president has downplayed the threat. Zelensky uh, knows the Russians have been moving troops all along the border ever since they invaded and annexed Crimea in 2014. And instead of Ukrainians uh, asking them to hunker down into the safety of their homes, he sent them out in the streets for a national holiday, a day of unity. Now, that doesn't sound like someone who fears a invasion to me. Uh, what do you think? 
Well, he has to downplay. I mean, the, the Ukrainians are hopeful in the next five to 10 years that they could join NATO, that they could integrate in the European Union. I mean, that's, that is essentially their dream. They, they want to be part of, of the West. And I can't blame them. They would never want to rejoin Russia. That would be a basket case. But I, I think for the Ukrainians, they don't want to lose any investments that are coming to the country. They don't want to look like a basket case. I know you've studied Putin. He's a pretty smart man. If he wants to win assurances that Ukraine will not be allowed to join NATO, also stop NATO military exercises near his border, prevent Western missiles from being put in place nearby, you wouldn't invade Ukraine and actually create the situation you're trying to prevent, would you? No, I, I think Russia's being very foolish here. I mean, the, the Russians have always had this fear that, that NATO is their adversary, NATO is their enemy. And it's actually a lot of the things that, that Russia has done over the last 10 or 15 years that are pushing all these different countries to join NATO, whether it's the Baltics, Poland, whether it's the Baltic states literally tripling their defense expenditures over the last five to seven years, Poland buying the F-35, talk of, of Finland now joining NATO and buying the F-35. All of these things don't come in isolation. They're because the Russians, for what they did in Georgia back in 2008, what they did to Ukraine back in 2014, taking Crimea, and now ratcheting up tensions all over again. So if, if Russia wants to disincentivize countries from joining NATO, maybe it should stop to think about what it's actually doing. Okay, so quickly, Harry, what's likely to happen here? Well, I, I think what's going to happen is they think there is going to be some sort of diplomatic off-ramp. I think both sides are, gonna, are going to maybe agree to disagree. Maybe Ukraine says, you know, look, we're not going to join NATO right now, but we're not going to you know, hold back in the future. My hope is that that could be, you know, a way that both sides could essentially come back from the brink. But if Putin doesn't like that, if Putin doesn't take a sort of temporary guarantee, he may decide to just launch a, a lightning strike in Ukraine for maybe five to ten days. You know, massive military bombardment, lots of missiles, lots of tanks, you know, go maybe 20, 30 miles into the country, do as much damage as they can. So, you know, Ukraine for a decade or more is, is basically untouchable by NATO and the EU. But we'll, we'll have to see. I think those are the two most likely scenarios. Okay, some good insights there, Harry. Center for the National Interest Senior Director, Harry Kazianas. Thank you for providing those insights. Thanks for having me. This is Black History Month in the United States, a time to remember the past and recognize the contributions of black Americans. But it's also a time for looking forward. What can be done to improve race relations in the United States and provide more opportunities for blacks so they may truly obtain the American dream? Well, joining us are Pastor Stephen Broden. He's executive director of the Content of Character series, and Mark Little, the chair of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. First, let's begin with you, Pastor Broden. You write that, quote, the liberal left is using the black community as a hammer against the system. How are black Americans being used to radically change the country? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, uh, in my opinion and in my observation, uh, the secular humanists and the liberal left have been using the black community to put their candidates in office. And once they're there, they begin to write policies and laws that contradict our Constitution and challenges our liberties in America. Their ability to do that has been because we as a community, the black community, has been voting almost 90 plus percent for the progressive candidates. Those candidates have an agenda. And the agenda is not to improve the circumstances and situations in our community 
but rather to advance an agenda that is antithetical to the concepts and principles related in the founding of our nation and the principles that undergird who we are as a nation. Well, I want to talk a little more about that in a moment, but Mark Little, uh, during Black History Month one year ago, you led a time of prayer for President Trump in the Oval of Office, and a lot has yes, changed since then. Him. You believe significant gains were made for black Americans during Trump's presidency, so have those gains slowed, reversed? And I guess what I'm getting at here is, was it only because of Donald Trump, or is Congress and America truly committed to progress? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, I'll take uh, the, the questions in the latter. Uh, I think the current uh, makeup of the Congress uh, is intent on rolling back uh, those uh, things that really benefited the black community. And what a great time to be talking about it. The president rolled out the platinum plan in Atlanta, Georgia, that I was uh, a participant uh, in. In fact, I, I got the pastors to stand with him down in Georgia as he rolled out a uh, $500 a billion-dollar plan that included uh, a lot of things, uh, more businesses, more jobs, and the like. And that was an extension of what he had already accomplished. Uh, we know that he made our country independent uh, in terms of uh, gas, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, we know that we had the best economy in 50 years. Uh, we had uh, a decrease in uh, unemployment uh, across all ethnicities. Now, of course, every Republican president turns back the Hyde Amendment and the Mexico City policy to prevent taxpayer funds from being used for abortion. But uh, this president went beyond that. Uh, he went on the world stage. He talked about religious liberty, and he talked about life in the womb, and he created a standard. Uh, but guess what? 44% uh, uh, of the abortions committed in the United States are by black women. And so, uh, for me, he helped roll back a lot of things uh, that not only were hurtful, to the black community, but he, but he put things in place that were helpful. Uh, and we're now seeing the dismantling of that. The Obama Civil Rights Administration, or rather commission, found that illegal aliens disproportionately impacted black workers. And now we're seeing what is an open, open border policy, not just by this president, but by this party that works against black workers and black families. So we have a real problem with what's happening in this country and with our leadership today. He also pushed for and signed historic criminal justice reform uh, legislation into law. Mark, is that making a difference? Or are we still committed to the First Step Act? I tell you, well, that's certainly still in place. And, and you just don't, don't blink, because it might not be. Uh, but I tell you, uh, on that very issue alone, we are looking at the, at the impact of what Joe Biden put in place. He stood on the Senate floor with Senator Strom Thurmond in 1991, uh, and he talked about the impact of crack cocaine uh, and how he was going to make sure that this scourge of black cocaine use was going to be punished. And in fact, in 1994, with the crime bill, he did just that. Uh, they, they made sure that people caught with five grams of crack cocaine did five-year mandatum sentences, while, of course, uh, the most affluent folks, uh, often not African-Americans, uh, who used powder cocaine, uh, got 500 grams in five years. We really need to focus on rehabilitation uh, in our prison system. Now, uh, there, there's a struggle uh, on that issue. As, as district attorneys across our, our nation, uh, largely propped up by George Soros, uh, let out violent criminals uh, that now are in our streets uh, mowing down people 
uh, in parades that should have been locked up. We've got the, you know, the no-cash bail system and things that are really not helpful uh, to our communities. Pastor Broden, back to you. How about these ideas of equity, diversity, and inclusion? Are those noble goals that should be achieved by American society? I know you wrote the book Pawns of Change, so I'm assuming here you believe these are not only, or probably just buzzwords to make black people feel better, and they're actually ideas that are keys to advancing that radical political agenda you had mentioned. Well, there are certain words in that list that you uh, represented that is not consistent with the, the principles that undergird this nation and made it great. When we think of equality, it is something that's quite different from equity as represented by uh, the liberal left. Equity for them is an, uh, sort of a level playing field uh, where everyone has the same outcome. That concept or idea is founded or crafted, I believe, in a socialistic paradigm, whereas equality, as represented in our Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence, as penned and crafted by Thomas Jefferson, represents an equal opportunity for all of us to have the ability to achieve and to accomplish all that we can, an equal access, if you will, to the uh, privileges and uh, liberties that are available to all under our Constitution. And so there are language or uh, what is called a dialect that is connected to the uh, socialist movement in America that is radically changing our perception of ourselves, the perception of the founding of our nation, and is coming under the auspices or design, or I should say better, the philosophies of the left, Darwinism, communism, Marxism, socialism, feminism, all those isms are ideas or philosophies that were crafted by men and women who hated this constitution and hated God. Okay, we're going to take a break and coming up race relations and what Christians and other people of faith can do to help move the country forward despite the efforts of extremists to divide us. More now with Pastor Stephen Broden, Executive Director of the Content of Character Series, and Mark Little, the Chair of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. Gentlemen, unlike many BLM activists of today, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. supported nonviolent protests to accomplish civil rights goals, and he spoke of Americans coming together in love and understanding. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. Theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. And when one rises to love on this level, he loves men not because he likes them, but he loves every man because God loves him. Dr. King was a pastor and often talked about God in his civil rights messages. So what do you think? Is God missing from this discussion about race in America, Pastor Broden? Oh, absolutely. I, it, it is the intent of the liberal left uh, to extract the influence of God out of the public square. I believe it was Antonio Grimsey who evaluated after the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. He concluded that in order for us to have success in the West, we must infiltrate gradually and change 
the doctrines of the West away from the Christian influence. He targeted Christianity as one of the institutions that must be replaced in order for them to influence the other seven institutions that influence us today. We're now learning that the COVID pandemic lockdowns, virtual learning, even masking have actually harmed learning and the mental health of American children. So I'm guessing here that children in minority communities have been the hardest hit. Your thoughts about that? It's actual child abuse. Uh, our children in, uh, in elementary and middle school, the way they learn uh, is by facial expression uh, and, 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 and about uh, how we relate to one another. Uh, and the masks that are being mandated now, which by the way, there's no science to support, uh, have greatly impacted our children. In addition to that, uh, the time that they spent away from their uh, peers and, and at home doing distance learning. We learned from John Hopkins recently that the lockdowns actually didn't help us at all. But yet, you know, we've got uh, uh, nations all around the world who are dropping their mandates, and the United States seems to be slow uh, to adopt what uh, we call the science that they say they follow. Stefan, how about spiritually? How has the pandemic hurt our kids in that way? Well, there has been a movement in our country away from our Judeo-Christian heritage, which has influenced our nation and has influenced the public square ever since the conception of this nation. Uh, that has been reduced in terms of its influence and its ability to frame for us what is morally right versus what is morally wrong. As a result of that, we are seeing the replacement of our Judeo-Christian heritage by a philosophy that's grounded in uh, a, a secular humanist design. That design is devoid of the divine. And as a result, we are redefining morality in America that impacts not only what's happening in the public square and in our culture, but has an adverse impact on the psyche and spiritual development of our children. It's being replaced with ideas of same-sex marriage, sodomy, um, gender fluidity, uh, transgenderism as a protected class. All of that represents a shift away from our Judeo-Christian heritage, heritage and an embracement of a doctrine that is leading us towards a transformation of our nation. And Stefan, tell us more then, how is your content of character series making a difference? It is our hope to uh, inform, educate, and activate the community, the Christian community in particular. Information asks and answers the question, what's going on? There's a need right now for most Americans to understand what is happening in America is not organic. It is deliberate. It is by design. Education asks and answers the question, why is this happening to us? It is here where we introduce to the Christian community socialism, Marxism, communism, and let them know that those philosophies are driving the transformation that is taking place in our, our country today. Mark, I understand you've started a new show. Tell us about it. What do you talk about? I started the Mark Little Show, a podcast. Uh, and I got to tell you, uh, uh, I decided that it wasn't enough uh, to post uh, memes uh, uh, that other people create. I, I decided that what I do is a discussion of faith, politics, and the law. And so that's what I do. It drops every Tuesday, uh, and it's available where every podcast is. And I do a visual and an audio version. So thank you for mentioning that, and I hope 
uh, that those will follow and listen and give me your feedback. Okay, gentlemen, brothers, we appreciate both of you, Pastor Stephan Broden and Attorney Mark Little. Let's uh, continue this discussion in the future, okay? Uh, we thank you, you both. Bet. Thank you for taking time to be with us to share your insights. Please have me back, and God bless you, and God bless your, your, your listeners. Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government are turning more tyrannical, folks. The cold way up there in the great white north must be freezing their minds. The nonviolent freedom convoy, the truckers and other protesters fed up with Ottawa's excessive COVID mandates have now become Canada's public enemy number one. Court orders and an unconstitutional decree by Trudeau, the taking of powers that only really belong to the Canadian Parliament, have dampened the protests for now. But this crackdown may backfire and actually create more public support for the truckers. They are laborers, by the way, that we depend upon to deliver goods to market and keep our supply chains moving. Yeah, those guys. They were once cheered as heroes at the height of the pandemic. Now suddenly the Canadian government considers them to be criminals. How quickly the tide turns when people actually stand up to autocratic orders. One of the most egregious actions came this week when a Canadian court froze $9.5 million in Freedom Convoy assets raised through Give, Send, Go. That's a Christian-owned crowdfunding platform used by the truckers. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me a Canadian court has no legal right to block the assets of an American company operating in the USA. Give, Send, Go seems like David going up against Goliath here. Company co-founder Heather Wilson told Faithwire her organization will fight the Canadian government in court. Freedom, both spiritually and physically, came at such a high price that we're not going to trample on it and say it doesn't matter. It does matter. And this is probably going to be the fight of my life. And I feel so humbled that God would use me and my brother and my family and our employees to take on this battle because we feel so adequate. But then you read the Bible and every single story you read where something miraculous happened, guess what? That person felt inadequate that I can't do this. And God said, yeah, I don't want you to do it. I'm going to do it. You can watch that full interview on our Faithwire page on Facebook. And bravo, Heather Wilson. I agree with you. Keep advocating for liberty. Our rights and freedoms do come from God, not government. Yes, he gave them to us in the Garden of Eden long before the Justin Trudeau government. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.